Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us for episode 508 with Ron Price. Ron is sharing how you can build your character, grow your influence, unlock your leadership potentials. You'll learn one, the four keys to landing your next promotion. Two, two approaches for getting excellent feedback. And three, how to get others to listen to you. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep508. And here's Ron's story. Ron Price is an internationally recognized business advisor, executive coach, speaker, and author. He's known for his creative and systematic thinking, business versatility, and practical optimism. Ron has worked in 15 countries and served in almost every level of executive management over the past 40 years. As the former CEO of a multi-million dollar international company, Ron understands the challenges and risks of running a business and building a dynamic team. He works shoulder to shoulder with executive leadership teams to bring strategic clarity and transformational results to organizations, especially those dealing with turmoil and transition. In 2004, Ron started Price Associates, a global leadership performance firm that features the bright minds and innovative solutions of some of the world's top consultants in organizational development, process management, branding marketing, and more. So thanks to Ron for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, here's Ron. Ron, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you, Pete. It's great to be with you. Well, I think the first thing we need to cover is your career in truck tire retreading. Tell us about this. <laughs> well, it goes way back. My dad owned a truck tire retreading shop. And when I was 12 years old, my first job was repairing truck tire tubes. And I got paid piecemeal. So each tube that would hold air overnight, I think I got a quarter. Okay. I have to confess, my work ethic wasn't real great then. There were some afternoons I just took a nap in a bunch of tubes that were piled up. But uh, eventually that led to, after getting out of school, I went to work and learned every bit of the business, did a lot of years of changing semi-truck tires along the highway in Michigan in January and February, 
And I really learned something about resilience then and eventually became a part owner. And my dad and I together owned four different manufacturing facilities across the state of Michigan. So it was a great place to learn work ethic and to learn how to run a business. Back then, we didn't have credit cards, so we had to actually manage credit risk and things like that. It was really a wonderful experience. Well, yeah, well, yeah. what a transformation with work ethic from taking a nap <laughs> in the tubes to being in the cold Michigan winter on the side of the road fixing the truck tires. That's yeah, um, impressive. That's right. that's, and Pete, I think I could say that it's sort of coming full circle because now that I'm in my later 60s, I go back to taking naps again. <laughs> Well, I, I would maintain that uh, a strategic nap is, in fact, the, a productive, sensible, strategic choice. So yeah. no arguments for me here. Here, here. All right. So I want to talk to you about growing influence, how that's done. And maybe to kick us off, could you share uh, an inspiring story of, of a professional who was not so influential and then they, they made some changes and then they saw some real nice upgrade to that? Boy, there's so many. I've had such a wonderful career of working with great people. One that I think of was a woman who came to work at a business that I was running during most of the 90s. I started there in 89 and retired from it in 2000. She came as a customer service representative answering the phone. And I saw something in her that was that made her stand out. She really cared about what she was doing. She made you feel like what she was doing was worthwhile every day. And eventually that led to us saying maybe she could supervise the people who were answering our phones. And she started as a supervisor of a small group of people, and she eventually grew to being a VP of customer service. She, I would say, this was a company that was about a $100 million company, and we had 200 employees spread across eight countries. And she was maybe the number two, number three person in the whole company. And she started as a, somebody answering the phone, and she kept learning and growing and demonstrating character. And she won more and more and more loyalty from the people around her. And I think they would have thrown me out had I not promoted her to that position later in her career. Well, that's great. And, and maybe, I guess we're going to get into some of the particular principles and actions and, and tactics, but was there anything in particular you noticed that made all the difference in terms of, of her rise? I think it was twofold. I think one is that she brought her humanity to work with her. She treated people like human beings. And it didn't mean that she lowered the standards, didn't mean that she wasn't clear about what needed to be accomplished. But she recognized that those were human beings that all brought their own life with them to work, and it was worthy of respect. That was the first thing. The second thing is that she was a continuous learner. And she didn't start out as an expert in this field, but she became an expert all the way to the point that she was recognized internationally for the kind of leadership that she brought to incoming call centers. So during her tenure, we went from a traditional kind of a phone system to a phone system that was hooked up to data analytics. And we, were, we ended up learning how to do statistical quality control monitoring. We did a lot of things both on the technical side of understanding how to make the most out of a call center and also on the people development side of empowering people, giving them clear career paths, letting them see the numbers. One of the big things that she did is the one of the early phone systems that we bought had a big screen that the supervisor could look at to determine how many people were on hold and if people abandoned and, and what our average call time was, all those kinds of things. And she said, 
This was long before anybody was thinking of this. She said, why is it that the supervisor sees this and the whole office can't see it? So she brought in a huge monitor, put it up near the ceiling so that every single person in that call center could see what was going on. And it was one of the early demonstrations of combining technology with empowerment so that people felt that they could own their job. And it made a huge difference in our culture and in our performance. Oh, that's powerful. I I could just visualize that like a scene from a movie, you know, triumphantly placing a huge monitor on the ceiling. And it's like, oh, we're really serious about that. That's cool. Yeah. And why why do we need somebody to monitor that for everybody else, like their children or something? Why don't we treat them like adults and let them take their own initiative? You know, the funny thing about it, Pete, was that people paid attention to that. And if all of a sudden we had a spike in calls and somebody was on a break, they self-governed. They immediately responded and because they were all focused on one goal together as a team. And no supervisor had to tell them how to do that. The supervisor was there to support them and to help eliminate obstacles from them doing good work. It was a wonderful example to me and to everybody who was a part of our company. Oh, that's cool. Well, so your book, Growing Influence, is a a business fable, and it speaks to a lot of people in a lot of situations. But, But one issue that you cover is... Why is it that some people get passed up for promotions? What's sort of the the top driver and and what can be done about that? Yeah. Well, and of course, uh, there are probably a lot of different reasons that somebody could get passed up. Some of them are external. Some of them they might not have any control over. It may be something to do with a culture, unconscious biases that exist inside the organization, and sometimes those need to be addressed. But there can also be internal reasons why somebody gets passed up. I like to think that if a person is really working consistently on being the best version of themselves, and they're doing that in the way that they develop their character, and they're doing that in the way that they develop their expertise, that in a healthy environment, the positions, the promotions will come find them. Because most of us who've been in leadership roles, when we're looking at promoting people, we're, we've got a lot of self-interest. We want to promote somebody who can perform, somebody who can get the work done, somebody who gets along well with others, somebody who has intelligence that they bring to their work. And if you bring all those things and you don't throw up a lot of obstacles, you make it a lot easier to get promoted. So sometimes people, they don't get promoted because of something that's happening in the culture that needs to be addressed. And other times they don't get promoted because they don't realize that they're their own worst enemy in some ways. My my wife and I were out on a fall walk earlier today and we laughed about this statement that I find myself making over and over and over again. And that is the darndest thing about blind spots is you can't see them. Yeah. Makes sense. (laughs) And sometimes people don't get promoted because they don't recognize how they're being perceived by others. It's a blind spot to them. And if they understood that and adapted themselves accordingly, they make themselves much more promotable. And are there any particular character or expertise shortcomings or, or blind spots that seem to pop up again and again? Oh, boy, what a great question. And this really is why we wrote the book, is that after years of thinking about this and helping people with it, I thought there actually is a model that's not that difficult that makes a big difference. So first, let's talk about character. In the book, we talk about how do you define integrity of character? And most people think, well, honest and ethical, and you don't do things when people aren't looking that you wouldn't do if they were looking, things like that. But we, we want to expand the meaning of that word integrity to, 
to think about what does wholeness look like for character. When I go to my doctor and he starts talking to me about the integrity of my nervous system, he's not talking about whether it's honest or ethical. He's talking about whether it's working properly, whether all the parts are there and they're properly related to each other. So we posit that as our definition of character. And then we ask these two questions. The first question is, what are the values by which I choose to govern my own behavior? A great example for me, my number one value that I look at every week and ask myself, how am I doing, is personal accountability. And of course, the power of that value is in how you define it. So the first question is, what are the values I choose to govern myself and how am I doing? The second question is, what are the values I choose to relate to other people and how am I doing? And in my case, my number one value for how I relate to other people is collaboration. And that word is almost, it's almost a spiritual or a religious word to me because I believe that when you really connect with somebody else, you understand what they want, they understand what you want, and you learn how to work together, that there's the possibility for real magic to occur. And in fact, that's what Stacy and I felt that we reached in writing the book Growing Influences, this wonderful synergism that happened when we both brought all of who we were with respect for the other, and we learned how to work well together. So that's my number one value for how I choose to relate to others. So how do you grow character in a way that other people notice you, and it makes you promotable? It makes you more influential. Well, what are the values by which you govern your own behaviors, and what are the values by which you relate to other people? Sometimes we can think of where we fall short, and that might help to guide us in what values we want to adopt. But it's the steady, consistent development of more and more strength in the way that you not only aspire to those values, but practice those values that causes people to want to follow you as an influencer because of how you show up. That's character, Pete. I know that's kind of long-winded, but we, we use a similar kind of approach to expertise, to be an expert influencer in a way that people listen to you more, you have to recognize that expert leadership is based on creating value for others, not just sounding smart yourself. So the real question is, what value, what benefit is my expertise going to deliver to other people? And it might be marketing or finance or operations, or in my case, it's my tax attorney or my tax accountant because of their expertise, because they understand the tax laws, they have a tremendous amount of influence over me when it comes to my tax returns. Now, they may not have much influence over me when I decide whether or not I'm going to get my gallbladder taken out. Sure. But in the area of expertise, they've got a lot of power. And if you decide that you're going to create value for others, and then you lay out a pathway for how to get better and better and better at that, you're gaining power, you're gaining influence, and you're becoming more promotable. We, we encourage people along those lines to pick one or two areas that they're really passionate about and start to study the other leaders in that area of expertise. Read what they write, listen to their podcasts or watch their TED Talks, and just begin to saturate your mind with the thoughts of other leaders or experts in that area. And if you do that long enough, there's something amazing that happens in your subconscious. You begin to take one idea from this person, another idea from this person, a third idea from this person, and you begin to create your own thought recipes. And in doing that, you become an expert yourself. So it's really a practical way. And if you just do a little bit at a time over one year, two years, three years, 
you become an expert and eventually you're coming up with unique ideas that nobody else has ever come up with because you're combining other people's ideas in new ways. Well, that's excellent. So, so then the action step there in terms of increasing your value is you're picking an area of expertise and you're absorbing all the wisdom from the top folks there. And, and before you know it, you, you got it yourself and you're coming up with original stuff. So then when it comes to the living more in accordance with your values, what are some of the key action steps associated with identifying some of the shortcomings and shoring them up? The first thing is, is being more self-aware. Oftentimes, the thing that we probably should work on, the people around us see it more clearly than we do. So I like to think of uh, this idea that I've never seen the back of my head. Right. Even after a haircut with that mirror and the barber, it's not as great. Yeah, it's a reflection. It's not the real thing. Yeah. And in fact, if you think about that, I've never seen my face. (laughs) All we see is a reflection of our face. So that metaphor tells us that we don't even know what we look like, which is a big part of who we are, without the use of something outside of us. And in the same way, you don't know how you show up at work, whether you're a leader, a manager, or you're aspiring to be one. You don't fully know who you are without the help of people around you who can be your mirrors. Of course, they should be people that you trust and that you know they care about your success because you don't want to get stuck in a house of mirrors. But you want people who are going to give you honest feedback. And it's amazing to me when we learn how to ask for and we're open to feedback and we're not defensive, how much wisdom we get from the people around us. When I first started to learn this, and I have to confess, it took a long time before I got comfortable enough in my own skin to be able to listen to this feedback. But when I first started to hear it, I had to resist the temptation to be embarrassed or to be feel ashamed or to defend myself or to deny that because they do a pretty good job of pointing out what you're not so good at. And when I opened myself up and said, it doesn't, ju- it doesn't have an impact on my quality as a human being, on my values as a human being, but they're giving me really valuable input that helps me understand the difference between what my intention is and what my impact is. And when I could let them begin to show me what my impact was, it began to open up a whole new level of growth. And I have to tell you, I'm still working at that. I still really treasure the feedback that people give me. And I've trained myself to be quiet and not to, not to defend myself, not even to agree with them, but just to say, thank you for that feedback. You gave me some important stuff for me to think about. And that's one of the big things that keeps me growing even in my late 60s. And so when you receive it, you're not being defensive. You're, you're saying thank you and you're, you're chewing on it. And, and then how do you go about making the request? Making the request for the feedback? Right. Yeah. Well, the way I do it is I let people know I understand that there are parts of me that I can't see without your help. And I believe that you care for me and you care for my success. And I believe that I could understand myself better and, and develop better self-awareness if you could give me some feedback. And then I might, there are two approaches I'll take. I'll say, if there were one thing that I could work at getting better at and that it would make it easier for us to work together, what would you want me to work on? That's one way I approach it. The second way I approach it is I might have already identified. I might say, I want to get better at planning and organizing. And I would, I, go, I might go to a person and say, I'm working on getting better at planning and organizing. And I wonder if you've watched me, you've seen how I do my work. I wonder if you have one or two tips that you could give me for how I could get better. And I don't have to agree with the tips. I just thank them for the tips. And 
I might come back later and tell them that I've implemented one of the tips or I might not. But what I found is that if you don't answer people back with either that this is why it won't work, I already tried that, or no, that's not really true. If you don't answer back that way, you make them feel more and more comfortable over time getting more honest with the feedback that they give you. And honest feedback with somebody who's direct and caring is one of the greatest gifts that anybody can ever give you. And if you develop that openness, that receptiveness, where people feel they can give it to you directly and caringly, it's one of the greatest accelerators to you growing influence. Absolutely. All right. Well, so those are some some master keys there. So if you're doing those sorts of things on an ongoing basis, uh, I'd love to get your your tips for sort of when you're in the in the thick of things, you know, you're working on developing your character and your expertise and you're getting your feedback. Is there anything you recommend, some top do's and don'ts for kind of day in, day out, you're interacting with the folks and, and these things make a world of difference? The biggest thing by far, I look back on my career and it's had the greatest positive impact of anything I've done is making sure that every day I spend time with myself and that that time is set aside not to look at my task list. It's not for me to worry or to go read the newspaper and be all frustrated with what's happening in politics or anything. It is time dedicated for me to think about who I am and who I want to become. And I started it back in, it was around 1978. I was getting frustrated because I I was overwhelmed with all the tasks I needed to get done. And I bought an audio cassette series on time management. And it sat on my shelf for six months because I didn't have time to listen to it. Mm -hmm. And I realized how that was my fault. There was nobody to blame but me that I hadn't given time to that. So I started work a half hour early. I said for that first half hour, at that time, I had a private office. I had a secretary and I told my secretary this first half hour, I'm coming in early. And unless law enforcement is at the door or somebody's Mm -hmm. life is a threat, that's my time. I don't want to be interrupted by anything. And over the years, I worked on expanding that time. I obviously finished that cassette series pretty quickly, but I realized, wow, I always had this time and I had never owned it. I'd never taken it. So over the years, I experimented with doing it different times of day. And at one point when I was running this international business, I had expanded that time to four hours a day. I had people in eight countries who were working for us that I was in communication with regularly. I had a senior leadership team that I was working with. It wasn't that I didn't have a lot to do. I had more to do than ever before. But because of the way I had worked with owning that time to work on myself. Now, during those far hours, I would also work on company strategy and the really big ideas that needed more careful thought. Now, I'm not there anymore. I retired from that business in 2000, and I have another business now. And I'm about two hours a day right now. But it might sound a little counterintuitive, Pete, but the time you spend with yourself, working on yourself, thinking about your own resilience, your flexibility, your personal accountability, thinking about your own values, that's the reservoir that you draw from the rest of the day when you're interacting with other people. And when I see people who are struggling in their relationships or struggling with their work, I always go back to how much time are you spending working on you? Because that's the strength that we're going to draw from for you to be successful in these other areas. Well, no surprise. I'd love that. Uh, hosting the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Uh, there's a wealth of, of power that's unleashed when you do that. And, and so I'm curious, 
when it comes to that 30 minute time or the four hour time, what is happening? So in some instances, it sounds like you got some some content, some programming you're working through, like the, the time management audio course. Are there sort of key questions that you ask yourself or kind of what, what's that process look like in terms of, all right, it's me time and I'm getting down, hunkering down to work on myself. What's happening in that work? I, I mix it up. I use a variety of things because sometimes I think they stimulate my thinking in a different way. But a lot of the things that if it's included reading with a highlighter in my hand and taking time not just to read, but to jot notes down as I come across what I think is an important paragraph from an author. It may be listening to a podcast that is focused on growth. It may be listening to a book on Audible while I'm out hiking. Oftentimes it's journaling and journaling around my values. So one of my values is courage. And so I might journal one morning about how am I demonstrating courage right now? What are the obstacles to courage? What does courage mean to me right now? It's these things that help me to self-evaluate and to think about who I am and who I want to be. And then it may, sometimes it's around a problem that's come up. Maybe I have a problem relationship with somebody that I feel has let me down, or maybe they feel that I've let them down. I may take some of that time just to journal about what am I feeling? What might they be feeling? What are some different alternatives for how we could work to a more positive solution here? But it's always something that has to do with developing my own character, developing my own expertise and my ability to show up stronger in the workplace. Those are a number of the different things that are included. All right. And so then your experience has been that when you spend time there, you reap more time savings, results, efficiencies in the rest of the hours of the day because you've spent the time there. Yes. One of my mentors was a guy named Charlie Tremendous Jones. He was a, he was bigger than life. They called him tremendous because everything was tremendous for him. And he was a character. He was really a throwback to the old comedians, but also as a motivational speaker. And he said to me once, Ron, he said, Ron, you're going to be the same five years from now as you are today, except for two things, the books you read and the people you meet. So value them both. And of course, today we have a lot of other mediums to work from. But that phrase always stuck with me the books you read, because I dedicate at least a minimum of 30 minutes a day to reading books that are around my profession or around the development of my character, I've now got over 3,000 books that I've read. That has an impact on your subconscious. And I, don't, I wouldn't say I was necessarily a great container of what I read, but you'd keep doing it and eventually it produces a benefit for you. And then the people you meet, one of the things that has enriched my life dramatically, and I think made me a better leader, has been recognizing that everybody I meet is superior to me in some way. And if I'll be humble and search for it, I can find treasure in every relationship. So every new relationship, every relationship I'm revisiting, even with our team, maybe I've worked with them for 10 years, I'm still looking for more treasure. There's something they've learned, something they've mastered that can benefit me. And I always say the expert in the room is the person who learns the least. So if I can intentionally make myself the student in every room that I go into, I have a chance of learning the most. Oh, yes. I like these perspectives. And so then when you are 
transitioning out. So away from the the solo time into the interacting with other folks. Are there any particular things you recommend when we are trying to be influential? We want someone to to say yes. Start having great character and expertise certainly is a huge foundation. But is there anything in particular with regard to how you do the communication? First, I think it's important to be clear yourself, to make sure that you understand your priorities and you're organizing around your priorities, because it's hard to influence other people if they see you changing gears often, going different directions or chasing shiny objects. So the first thing is to be clear yourself. The second thing is to realize that the greatest power in working with somebody else is shared interest. So is the thing that you want them to do something that falls into the realm of shared interest for them. And they may or may not recognize that, but if you can get to that place where they see what's in it for them and their shared interest, it's going to be a lot easier for you to work together. And then I would say the third thing is make sure that you're giving them the level of support that's appropriate, which changes depending on what assignment you're talking about together, what you're asking them to do. And by the way, Pete, I'm not talking about this in a hierarchical organization only. And I'm not talking about it with people who are your subordinates. I think it's just as important to understand the shared interest of your boss, to understand what kind of support your boss needs, to understand what's going to help them be successful as it is somebody who's a subordinate or a peer. So it's really those three things. It's make sure you're clear, look for the shared interest, and then really clearly define how you can support them to help them be successful. All right. And and so then what are the key things to not do during the course of these conversations? To talk and not listen. <laughs> of course, if you're giving an assignment, there's an important communication component of you speaking. But to take the time to ask what they think and to find out whether or not what you're asking them to do is what they want to do. You know, we find that something like 60, 70% of the time that people don't follow through on an assignment that was asked of them. The reason is because the person who gave them the assignment never asked them whether or not they were committed to doing it. They just assumed they were. So taking the time to ask and not just assume that somebody's going to follow through. So I guess you said, what should you not do? Probably the biggest trouble we get into is our assumptions, the stories that we tell ourselves without ever validating whether they're true or not. And I don't know how many times I thought I knew what the other person was thinking, and I took the time to ask and found out what they were thinking was not at all what I had in mind. And so when you are asking, hey, are you committed to this or what are you thinking? What are some of the particular questions that seem to yield insight again and again? Is this something that you feel comfortable being involved with? Is this something that you feel you can do well? Is this something that you will enjoy doing? And help me understand the time frame because you know everything else that you have going on. Help me understand the time frame that you need in order to get this done well and in a way that you'll enjoy it. Is there anything I'm missing? Are there issues that you're dealing with or other responsibilities you're carrying that may get in the way of this that it would be important for me to know about? And this last question is, if it doesn't go well, how are you going to reach out and let me know that it's not going well? So I I want them to feel empowered and I want them to realize that I recognize that there are a lot of things that interrupt what our best intentions are and that's okay. And when that happens, let's work on it together. Well, Ron, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I think one of the most powerful models that I learned from another mentor 
actually, it's a husband and wife team, Steve and Jill Morris, they, they taught me something called the triangle of choice. They said, everybody has perceptions and our perceptions are different. Everybody has wants. That's really what drives us to get up out of bed each day and go to work. And everybody has behaviors and people will choose the behaviors that they think will best help them close the gap between their perceptions of the way things are and what they want. And if I can respect that in everybody that I work with, if I can take the time to understand what their perceptions are and help them make sure that they're accurate, what their wants are, and have a conversation about whether or not those wants are realistic, then together we can work on what are the behaviors that are going to close that gap between perceptions and wants. To me, that's one of the most powerful leadership models I've been able to use in helping other people become the best version of themselves. All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One of them that has stuck with me for many years was written by Napoleon Hill, who is an amazing story in and of himself. And I won't take the time to tell his story. But he said, whatever you can vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe, and enthusiastically act upon, must inevitably come to pass. So I've tried for years to prove him wrong. Whatever you can vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe, and enthusiastically act upon must inevitably come to pass. I use that in my personal life. I use it in my professional life. It's been a wonderful compass for the way that I want to live my life. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? I've been really fascinated with where neuroscience is going. And I'm associated with a brain science lab where we're measuring seven different levels of people's brain waves. We're looking at how they respond to things subconsciously. As a matter of fact, we'll throw a picture or a phrase or word up on a computer screen. And before they've had time to read it or absorb it, we already have six pictures of their brain what's happening in their subconscious mind. And what I'm fascinated about is this new science that's just developed in the last 10 to 15 years is when we combine it with psychology, it's creating a whole new science of understanding how people think, what their tendencies are, and who they could become. So I'm really captured by or captivated by what's happening in the world of neuroscience right now. And how about a favorite book? Well, it's hard to get too far away from The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I don't know how many times I've read it. Every time I read it, I see something new that inspires me. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? This is kind of cheating, but it's my iPhone. Oh, sure. Any particular apps that you make all the difference? (laughs) Well, the apps that I use every single day are I use reminders. I figured out how to customize it so that it only shows me what I need to get done today. And I have another 250 tasks that are not going to show up until the day that they need to be done. I use notes quite a bit because it's a great place for me to capture ideas and categorize them. I use Evernote. I really use Evernote for my reflection about character and expertise. And that morning reflection, Evernote is my key tool for that. And of course, you can't get too far away from the calendar and the way that it helps you to keep track of your schedule. So having come from the days when you had to do all that on paper, I know people complain about all the noise that we have with email and everything today, but I view it as what tremendous power we have in our hands. And I heard it. I'm not a scientist to be able to validate, but I heard that the computing power in our iPhones or Androids today is more computing power than it took to land a man on the moon. Mm -hmm. And a favorite habit? It's that early morning time. 
I, I also love hiking, and that's a habit that I, I try to get at least six miles in five days a week. But that early morning time is really the greatest source of strength. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks, like they would quote it back to you? The thing that people talk to me a lot about after they've read Growing Influence is this little dialogue that takes place between the two main characters, where David, who's a retired CEO, is mentoring Emily, who's a middle manager in a tech company. Just as she's leaving one of their conversations, he says, remember, Emily, lead with logic, follow with emotion. And it's the whole idea that if you want to optimize your influence, never let emotion get in front of logic. And sometimes that means you have to wait and calm down. But people come back and quote that to me over and over and over again, that that really impacted the way that they deal with this noise between logic and emotion. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Price-associates.com. And that leads you to our other websites. We have a lot of videos and podcasts and blogs and all kinds of resources that are available there. So price-associates.com. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Well, I think you can already hear my bias, Pete, and that is that people really have unlimited potential, only limited by how much they decide they want to develop who they can be. I really think that... The, the more you pour into becoming the best version of yourself, the more you recognize how unlimited that potential is. And it's a little bit each day, even if it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes, it's a little bit each day over time will transform your life. Ron, this has been a treat. Thanks so much for taking this time and, and good luck in all your adventures. Thanks, Pete. It's been great to be with you. I really appreciated Ron's question. How much time are you spending working on you? Well, I know it's at least a little bit because of this podcast you're listening to. Thank you. And I just really encourage you to take him at his word there and finding that time to have some quiet, not emailing, not meeting, not cranking through work for someone else, but working on you. Very wise words. I appreciate that. Hope you dug it. And more from Ron, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F508. Ron mentioned the seven habits of highly effective people. And our next guest, Todd Davis, is an executive at the Franklin Covey organization. So he is sharing some great tips on how everyone deserves a great manager and how you can be one. Hope to catch you there. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. 
You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.